welcome to Misunderstood, a podcast dedicated to better understanding MS and learning to live well with MS. I'm your host, Katie Sloan. A few reminders as we begin. I am not an expert. I'm just a person like you, living with MS and trying to make the best of it. Misunderstood is based on my personal experience, what I've learned from my doctors, other care providers, and my own solutions-oriented research and pattern-finding obsessions. And while the majority of the information I share has been vetted by doctors, I am not a doctor. My intention is you use the information shared here as a springboard for discussion between you and your doctor regarding your future care options. And lastly, MS impacts each of us uniquely. I hope to shine a light on a wide range of approaches and strategies for living better with MS, but what you choose to do with that information is always your choice, and what works for one may not work for all. This week's episode is for you, a listener newly diagnosed with MS. I am so glad you're here, and I want you to know that you are not alone on this journey, although I do understand that for many of us, it feels that way in the beginning. It certainly did for me. And if you're anything like I was at the time of my diagnosis, you likely have a lot of questions. Today, we'll look at some of the most frequently asked questions and common misperceptions about MS to help fast track our knowledge about the disease and also shine a light on some different avenues one might choose to take and strategies and resources to ponder as you develop your personal path forward. I'm a career educator, and because MS has been one of the most effective teachers I've ever come across, I find it helpful to look at MS in that context. I believe we each enter the classroom that is MS when it shows up on our life course schedule. This is, of course, not an elective class we choose, yet a required prerequisite for how to best navigate our future. When diagnosed, I remember feeling like everything had suddenly changed but also felt completely void of feelings too because I had no idea what an MS diagnosis was and what that meant it would change. One thing is for sure, an MS diagnosis is potentially a major flex point in our lives. How we choose to approach that unchosen change is up to us. They say hindsight is 2020, meaning that when we're able to look back at a time in our lives from the future, we have a sacred clarity we didn't have at the time. From my personal vantage point, five years in, and knowing a lot more people who have been living with MS a lot longer than I have, I can tell you that for the vast majority of us, life does get better. And that's what this episode is all about answering those frequently asked questions, providing support, and I hope to also give you lots to marinate on as you decide the next step you'll take forward toward learning how to live well with MS. As you listen, think about what resonates most with you. For the most important thing MS has taught me is to learn to better listen to the voice that lives inside each of us and is uniquely our own. For it is in learning to listen to that voice that we are able to choose the best path forward for us. Nobody else can or should make that decision. 
The last thing before we dive into the episode is a quote I love from Mr. Rogers, one of the greatest teachers of all time. He says, In times of stress, the best thing we can do for each other is to listen with our ears and our hearts, and to be assured that our questions are just as important as our answers. So, as you listen today, think about this. What are the questions that will help you get the answers you need to lead you forward on your journey? Each episode, I share a gratitude because one thing I've learned is that practicing mindfulness and gratitude is an integral part of living a fulfilling and peaceful life. You can visit episode four, In Giving We Receive, the gift that keeps on giving, to learn more about how practicing gratitude can help you live better with MS. So, that said, today's gratitude is for the members of the MS flock that we have built as our support system, and especially for longtime flock members James and Christy, who continue to both inspire and support me on this podcast venture. I met these wonderful humans, who also happen to have MS, over two years ago now, and we've met up online several times a week ever since, and added more exceptional folks to the groups over time. While I thought I knew the value of collaboration and community from training and coaching teachers, I still grossly underestimated just how much these two humans and their support would impact my life. They, and Dr. Peyrovi, who also has MS, have taught me the true power of support, what it means to be understood and loved unconditionally through this challenge. And while our families and friends certainly try to understand, the hard truth is that people with MS just understand each other better. So they have become my primary support when it comes to all things MS. I encourage you to listen to the misunderstood introductory episode titled, What the Flock? Who are we and why we flock? To learn more about our history and where we're headed. It will also explain the honking geese sounds throughout the episode as we cheer each other on. And you may also enjoy listening to episode two, Doctors Get MS Too? The Power of Truly Understanding. To learn more about Dr. Peyrovi and all she has taught me, as she helped point me in a much better direction, conducive to healing. The MS journey is so much better with others who understand, and I invite you to join us on our journey to living well with MS. So today, thank you Christy and James, and all of my other cherished MS friends, as well as Dr. Peyrovi. My gratitude fountain overflows every time I think of you. As I mentioned in last week's episode, I've been noticing a huge uptick in newly diagnosed folks on the social media networks I follow. Not surprising, since we know how stress often triggers MS symptoms, and 2020 has certainly provided more than its fair share of stressors. We were all newly diagnosed at one point in time, and most of us recall that it was an extremely challenging time for us. Many of us felt lost, scared, uncertain, like everything had changed, and yet we lacked clarity on how everything had changed and what that meant moving forward. 
A good many of us also felt an odd sense of relief. At least now, after many months or even years, we finally had a diagnosis to explain our symptoms. As a very reflective person and a retired teacher coach with a penchant for helping support others so they don't feel so alone on their journey, I started compiling a list from the beginning of my life living with MS post-diagnosis of things I wish I had known. So today, we'll look at some of those topics as well as common misconceptions about MS and hear a few words from Flock member Christy as she shares a bit about her early journey. It's important to note that while going through the process of arriving at an MS diagnosis, you likely have a lot of people around you who care deeply for you. And along with that care may come a deluge of advice and opinions, welcomed and unwelcomed, often accompanied with an excess of emotions and maybe tears, which can be overwhelming. For me, I actually recall that this was the hardest part of my diagnosis. Know that it's okay to tell people you appreciate their care and advice, yet need some space to reflect on your own to determine how you'd like to move forward with your treatment. So, let's look at some common misconceptions of MS, and while we do, listeners, keep in mind something that I talk about a lot throughout the scope and sequence of this podcast series related to stress and worrying. And that is, did you know that only 8% of what we worry about actually comes true? It's a tested fact. So keep that in mind as you keep listening and as you begin figuring out how to plan to navigate your life with MS. Sure, worrying gives us something to do, but it's like a rocking chair in that way. We are doing something, but not getting anywhere. Common misconceptions. Overwhelmingly, the first thing most of us worry about is thinking that an MS diagnosis means we will end up in a wheelchair, and it feels like it might even happen tomorrow. First, Know that today you are largely the same person that you were yesterday prior to your diagnosis. While severe MS symptoms can come on suddenly, that's definitely more the exception than the rule, as MS progression is typically a slow process in contrast to an acute emergency incident. I do want to acknowledge, however, that at the time of diagnosis, the shock may feel like a medical emergency, so that's normal to feel a bit reeling out of control. But back to thinking we'll all end up in wheelchairs. Did you know that over 75% of people with MS never lose the ability to walk? Sure, some may need some assistance at times, like a crutch or a cane, But most people with MS do not end up in a wheelchair, or if they do, it's not necessarily permanent. That said, I do personally know people with MS who are currently using wheelchairs as mobility aids. And I'll also say some of them are working really hard to regain their walking abilities and experiencing great success. Side note, we'll have an episode soon featuring several people I know who use an online program called the MS Gym, which provides personalized exercise programs targeted for specific MS symptoms. 
It's also very important to note that as MS treatments change over time, this current data of 75% may very well change, and most experts now believe that the number is actually significantly higher than 75% now since so much of that research data was compiled prior to the introduction of many of the disease-modifying treatments, or DMTs, that many of us use today to slow our disease progression. So why do so many of us think we'll end up in a wheelchair? Part of that, I believe, is that often when we research for MS, those are the images we find, because it's the most obvious way to demonstrate through an image that a person has an illness or disability. That's something I wish MS sites would be more cognizant of, because it spreads a false narrative of the disease and adds unnecessary fear to people like us who are already scared. For many of us, especially when our relationship with MS is in its early years, most, if not all, of our MS symptoms are invisible. And that, in and of itself, can come with its own blessings and struggles. It can be a blessing in that we can still go about life with most people around us not knowing that anything is different. But it can also be a struggle because expectations people have of us, like our families or bosses, may not realize that some things are significantly more difficult for us now. For example, my first MS attack that resulted in my MS diagnosis was termed transverse myelitis, and it drastically impacted my ability to use my hands. I had to do voice to text for several months at work to write up my classroom observations because I couldn't type or write. I couldn't carry things easily, nor could I handle the vibrations of using a rolling cart. This is when I first received a handicap placard, and when the nasty looks began from people who made the assumption that I was parked in a spot I didn't deserve based on their visual analysis. Number two, another misconception is that people with MS can't continue working. I know lots of people with MS who still lead lives, both professionally and personally, very similarly to what they were doing prior to their diagnosis. In the flock and our other online MS groups, most people are still working. Our work is often really important to our sense of worth, so definitely take time before making any rash decisions about employment. And if your current symptoms make work difficult, Keep in mind that most people with MS experience RRMS, relapsing remitting MS, which means that symptoms may change or even completely go away in time. Also know that if at some point you are unable to continue working in the same job, there are a lot of other opportunities out there. In fact, there are a few job sites that specifically cater to people who might need more modifications and accommodations to a work environment or their job responsibilities. A couple that I like, I'll mention here. AbilityJobFair.org WeAreCapable.org And CareerOneStop.org has special pages of resources specifically for workers with disabilities. All this to say, refrain from thinking that just because you've been diagnosed with MS, that that means you'll need to change your work. 
Now, for me personally, in full transparency, after continuing to work several more years, and frankly not doing a good job at learning to work less than 60 hours a week, reduce my stress, and learn to take it easier on myself, I did experience a severe case of optic neuritis, which now prevents me from being around fluorescent lighting and limits my screen time and ability to read at times. That meant I could no longer coach my teachers in their classrooms with their glaring lights. It was a hard transition, since I truly loved my job and hoped to be there for many more years. But listeners, please know that I am still able to contribute to society in ways that matter a lot to me through this podcast, the online and local MS support groups I facilitate, and the work I do with Dr. Peyrovi to provide MS education and support. The beauty of it all is that with everything I learn, I'm helping myself too, and have finally learned that putting my own oxygen mask on first is imperative. To learn more about the importance of self-care, check out episode 5 about self-care called Are You a Fountain or a Drain? Learning to Put My Own Oxygen Mask on First. Misconception number three. It's not safe for women with MS to get pregnant and that babies born to mothers with MS might have a higher chance of getting MS too. Studies show that MS has no impact on our abilities to get pregnant, nor does it increase problems during pregnancy. In fact, it's often the case that women experience relief of MS symptoms while pregnant. It is thought that the hormone fluctuations in pregnancy are protective. And while autoimmunity can run in families, the chances that a child of someone with MS will also develop MS are low. In fact, only three out of 100 babies born to parents with MS end up with MS themselves. Genetics do play a role in MS, but there are other more prevalent factors too which are covered in several episodes of this podcast series. Misconception number four, MS will kill us. While there is currently no cure for MS, so it's a lifelong condition, MS in itself is not deadly and does not typically impact our longevity. Some older studies do show a slight decrease of about seven years in life expectancy. But more recent studies show that as we learn more about how to manage the disease better through disease-modifying therapies and healthier lifestyle choices, this gap is beginning to shrink. While some serious complications of advanced MS can be life-threatening, many of them are now considered preventable through treatment and lifestyle adjustments. So, MS is more of a quality-of-life disease than a life-shortening disease. And the good news is we have some semblance of control over our quality of life through our lifestyle choices. And even better news is that we can reap the benefits of lifestyle choices very quickly, within a matter of weeks to months. Seeing an integrative medicine doctor like Dr. Peyrovi can really help to clean up your life. More about that in a minute. Misconception 5. If I'm not currently experiencing MS symptoms, I don't need treatment. 
The most important thing I believe here is that we each get to choose our own path forward while acknowledging that MS is a progressive disease that often changes over time as we age. Some folks decide to go on a DMT, disease-modifying therapy, and some do not. There is no universally right or wrong way. There is simply the path you choose for yourself. Just know that with your choice comes the responsibility of living with the outcome of that choice. So whatever we choose, we need to be behind that choice 100%. I know many MS folks on no DMT who choose to manage their disease progression entirely through lifestyle modification. I know others who don't change anything in their lives other than being on a DMT. There's also people like me who have chosen more of a hybrid approach to be on a DMT and also manage my symptoms through lifestyle modifications. Most neurologists feel strongly that DMTs can drastically reduce the number of MS attacks we experience and also slow down the disease progression over time. Because of this, many neurologists believe that the sooner we start treatment, the better we'll be years down the road. Depending on our unique symptoms upon diagnosis, as well as other factors like our age or other health concerns, some neurologists may want to start at the lowest efficacy and lowest risk medications, while others may propose the hit the MS hard and fast approach with the more highly effective yet also more risky treatments. Sometimes this means we as patients feel a lot of pressure to decide between a bunch of options that seem a little or a lot scary. Depending on your neurologist, they may present you with different choices or seemingly no choice at all, but you do have a choice. And if you're having a hard time making a decision, often obtaining a second opinion can offer some clarity. One of the best things I did early on was seek a second opinion about my DMT options. The second neurologist had a totally different idea than my diagnosing neurologist. At first, I felt in a bind with two different pathways laid before me, and choosing felt like I was honoring one's medical knowledge more than the other. But the real beauty of the second opinion was when I asked them to hop on the phone and come to consensus about their recommendation, which they did, and that helped me feel a lot better about my decision. And it was also through that second opinion that I got connected with Dr. Peyrovi. And I'll share a little bit more about her here. She's an integrative medicine doctor who also has MS and treats herself quite effectively through lifestyle choices. She teaches classes, which I took and helped me a ton in managing my MS symptoms. And we're currently working together, developing a health website to make her program accessible to all for free. So stay tuned. An additional piece of information I think is important to share about integrated medicine doctors is that doctors, after basic medical school, choose a specialty. And from that point on, learn about their specialty in isolation. So neurologists, for example, focus on the brain. That works great for a lot of neurological conditions. 
But for conditions like MS that are very complex, impact many body systems, and are still largely misunderstood, an integrative medicine doctor who deeply understands how everything is connected can have a much different and more inclusive perspective about the disease and what can help us better manage our symptoms. I'd also like to mention another doctor here, Dr. Aaron Boster. He's a neurologist practicing in Ohio that has a robust YouTube channel. I've been following him for several years now, and he has a very balanced approach in the educational videos he offers. He has some great videos in particular on the various DMTs that are worth a watch if you're unsure which DMT road you want to travel. Misconception number six. Being diagnosed with MS changes everything. An MS diagnosis doesn't change everything, but it can change a lot. However, it's not all bad. And I'm at a point now where I actually can recognize my diagnosis as a gift. It's caused me to deeply examine my life in a way I would have never done on my own. And I can honestly say I love my life with MS even more than I loved my life before MS. Do know, I didn't feel that way at first. But know it's highly possible that you may one day feel like that too. Now, this doesn't mean there aren't also a lot of things that have changed that do suck sometimes. Not at all. Living with MS does have its challenges, and it's important to have on your radar as someone newly diagnosed that you may experience some of the following struggles. MS can impact many of our body systems, from basic biological functions, our sleep, our mood, and our ability to talk, walk, think, and even remember. One of the most common symptoms for people with MS is fatigue. And the most recent data is that about 90% of people with MS experience debilitating fatigue at some point. And that fatigue can drastically impact our ability to do a lot of the things we typically did prior to our diagnosis with the same amount of gusto. The good news is that most people can continue to enjoy the same activities through making minor adjustments. So things might look differently or happen less frequently, but you'll still be able to think creatively about finding new ways to enjoy the things you love. MS has definitely clarified my priorities in a very special way. And when I spend the energy I do have on the things I love most, I'm still able to do most things I did prior to my diagnosis. I should also mention here some other statistics about the likelihood of experiencing other common symptoms while living with MS. About 50% of people at some point experience a mental health challenge like anxiety or depression, and up to 60% experience some sort of cognitive issue like word retrieval or short-term memory issues. This is not at all surprising, as living with chronic illness can be taxing. Up to 80% experience mild to extreme bladder or bowel challenges like constipation and incontinence at some point. And about 25% of us experience vision issues, which is often an early symptom that leads to an MS diagnosis. 
The other aspect here I'd like to mention is that MS illuminated for me the false sense of security I had in my life prior to MS. I had a general idea of how I thought my life would go, and my MS diagnosis changed that for me at first. But what I realize now is that with MS, since it impacts each of us uniquely, the course of our own MS over time is unique. So worrying that something that has happened to others with MS in no way, shape, or form is a reliable indicator that it may also happen to me. In a similar fashion, there's no way to know if I might experience a car crash or live through a global pandemic or have our planet hit by a meteor. Remember, only 8% of what we worry about comes to fruition. Reminding myself of that regularly has now finally become routine, and it's helped me to conserve my energy so that when I do face hardships, I'm much better equipped to face them. Changing my mindset and learning to focus on the positives has helped a ton. Check out episode three on developing a growth mindset for healing. If you're newly diagnosed and want to learn more about MS, there's no shortage of reliable information about the disease itself online. There's also a lot that isn't reliable. So, where to turn? As previously mentioned, Dr. Aaron Boster is a great place to start, as he has an extensive library of videos that have earned my trust over the years. You can also connect with Dr. Peyrovi to learn about her effective approach. If you want to learn simple ways you can better manage current symptoms and reduce the likelihood of more progressive symptoms. And there are several organizations that have a ton of helpful and reliable information for people like us and our families. Two that I like are the nationalmssociety.org and mymsaa.org, which stands for MS Association of America. Both sites have patient portals with a wealth of reliable disease information, and they can help you find a local support group so you can meet others living with MS near you. The MS Society also has a hotline to call if you really need someone to talk with about the challenges you're facing. There are also some helpful Facebook MS groups, although my personal favorite social network website is mymsteam.com. It's awesome. It has a helpful search tool, and it's a great way to find and communicate with others that may be experiencing similar symptoms or on the same DMT, etc. It's like a private Facebook for the MS community, and the best peer support I received is from that source by far. It's also how I met James, which started building a flock of folks living with MS to lean on one another and learn to live better with MS together. Speaking of, I hope you will join us. Listen in to the other episodes as they contain helpful information that I've learned from others throughout the years following my own diagnosis. Finally, I want to share a brief personal message from my good friend, Christy, who also lives with MS. Let's take a listen in on our conversation. 
Hey, Christy, thank you for being with us today. Really excited to have you featured on the podcast. And it would be great if you could tell us a little bit about how you felt when you first received your MS diagnosis. Uh, thank you. I'm honored to be here. Um, I was diagnosed in 2014, and that was after three years of trying to figure out what was wrong with me and a neck surgery. Um, and so that was difficult not knowing what was happening. And then I finally got diagnosed in June of 2014. And at that moment, I was at the doctor's office by myself. Um, she handed me a pamphlet and told me to start taking this medication, and that was it. Um, and I was scared. I was lost. I went out to my car, and I sat there and just cried. Um, it, was, it was a relief, but it was also hard because I had no idea what was going on. I was afraid. Um, and so for me, that's how it all started. Um, I don't know. Um, Did you know much about MS at that point? I didn't know a lot about MS. Um, the only... I mean, I had done some research um, because I thought that that's what I had, um, but I still didn't know how it was going to affect me. And I think that's what scared me because I only knew one person in my life that had MS and she was very, very different than me. Um, so it was scary. So, so you mentioned the fear, the feeling hopeless, and how does that differ for you now as someone that's been living with MS for a while? Well, now I know a lot more um, about MS and how it's affected me, and I'm hopeful. I have a great community of people around me that I can talk to and share and they understand as well. And that is, that has been a tremendous help to me because you can go to your family or your close friends and you can tell them what's going on with you, but they can't see it and they can't feel it. So <clears throat> they're hopeless and because they don't know how to help you. And it's nice to have people to talk to that have, gone through some of the same things as you and I think that has been more helpful than anything that I've done since being diagnosed. I cannot agree more. I think back uh, almost three years ago now when I met you for the first time and uh, just how powerful that was for me to experience the similarities in our stories and also the differences. But that was the first time I think I really felt like I'm on this journey with other people and I'm going to be okay. We are going to be okay because we're going to help each other through this. So that was a real powerful turning point, I think, for me as well. Um, now, what are some other things looking back that you wish you had known earlier that have helped you kind of make that transition from where you were at your diagnosis point to where you are now? 
<clears throat> I wish I would have known that it's okay to advocate for yourself, that it's okay to fire a doctor if you're not compatible, um, and find a care team that works for you um, because that's important and that care team should talk to each other as well. Um, it took me a long time to find that kind of team, um, but now that I have it, you know, it's, it's very helpful because they do talk to each other and everybody knows what's going on. Sometimes that's difficult, but it, um, it makes a huge difference to have a care team that is in communication with each other. And how long would you say it took for you to really get a care team that you feel comfortable with? I mean, are we talking months, years? What could years. expect? What took me, it took me until I lost my insurance um, because I was laid off from my job. So August of 2017, I lost my insurance and I had to go to a whole new care team. So at that point, so what, three years, it took me three years. And then, um, I got another set of doctors and my, the primary that I had was not working for me. And I just, I, I kept dealing with it for a while. And then I finally decided I need a different doctor. So I fired her and I got another doctor and that was last year, um, the beginning of last year. So as of the beginning of 2019, I finally have a care team that really works for me. And my neurologist is a great advocate for me. Like she wasn't sure what to do with me because of the medication that I had taken previously. And so she's like, she said I needed to go to an MS specialist. So she sent me to Cedars. And at first I was, I was like, why do you mean you don't know how to take care of me? But then after reflecting on it, it was the best decision for me because she sent me to somebody who knew more about what I, what, what medication I had taken. And, you know, she helped me through that. That's fantastic. So I think one of the most important things for listeners to really understand is that this is a marathon. This isn't a sprint. We're not going to get all of our questions answered right away. We won't feel like we're in the right hands necessarily right away. If we, if we do, we're very lucky. But it seems to me that uh, most people we talk to had a real journey like you did. And so what would you say to someone if they're feeling um, a lack of connection with a doctor? Um, I would say start doing some research and see who else is in your area that you could maybe go to. Um, also, um, talk to the nurses because I actually found my new primary by talking to the nurses and she's wonderful. And the nurses know the doctors and some of them will tell you, some of them won't. But I, after having five days of steroids and being around these doc, these nurses every day, we got to talking and everything and we had more of a, I don't know, not, not really a friendship, but a, a, rapport. 
we were comfortable enough talking to each other and I got recommendations from a, a nurse. So nurses are great, are a great resource when you're looking for a new doctor. Excellent. I agree. I had a very similar experience. Any other last thoughts that you wanted to share with newly diagnosed folks that you think might be helpful? Um, one of the things that I wish I would have done um, starting off is keeping um, copies of my medical records and my MRIs. Um, because if you do have to change doctors for any reason, you can go into your first appointment and say, here's all my information. Here's all my MRIs. They don't have to go anywhere else. And it's a quicker process. Um, and you, they will make copies and they will give everything back to you. And it just, it helps the process for you to make it easier. Um, so there's that. And the other thing is, is not everybody's the same. It's a snowflake disease for a reason. We're all different. And so there's many medications out there. Um, do research, find what you think is going to work for you. And then talk to your doctor about your options or about what you think is going to work for you. And, you know, don't be afraid don't be afraid to speak up for yourself and to advocate for yourself because nobody else is going to do it. And it's overwhelming to have to do that. But once you start doing it, you won't look back because you're taking control of your disease and of your decisions. And I think that has given me more hope than anything is just advocating for myself. Beautiful. And in doing so, you have taught people like me to be a better advocate for myself. So thank you for that. Oh, thank you. My hope is that after listening to this episode, you not only feel better equipped to navigate the road ahead, but also know that there are others here with open arms ready to offer support and understanding in a special way that only those who live with MS can. You are not alone. The biggest takeaways I hope you leave with today. First, MS can be a major turning point in our lives. What lies ahead, no one can ever really know. But what we do know is that while it can be a hard road, and will be at times, most of us who have been on the journey at least a few years are now able to recognize and be grateful for the silver linings that living with MS provides. Remember, we are the author of our future. What will you write in the next chapter of your life? Secondly, it's hard when you're up to your eyeballs in an MS diagnosis. Take time to breathe and feel all the feels. Few decisions need to be made immediately. I firmly believe there are as many ways of living with MS as there are people living with MS especially since this disease impacts each of us uniquely. How you proceed is up to you and you alone. Reflecting on your personal choices and building your ability to advocate for yourself will help you a lot. 
Check out episode three on mindset to help you move from a place of anguish or fear to action and hope. Thirdly, know that while it's normal to feel helpless, there are many things we can do to help better manage our symptoms, improve our daily lives, and slow our overall progression. Join us and learn more with us as we continue learning how to live well with MS. Following this and every podcast, I offer Zoom sessions for our Patreon listeners to discuss the episode's topic together. I hope you will join us. Become a patron on patreon.com slash msflock for the Zoom session schedule and invitation links. Membership is only a dollar a month to access these important flockings and more content. Flock members, I look forward to hearing your personal reflections this Saturday about your journeys from diagnosis to now. How did you feel when you first received your diagnosis? How does that differ for you now as someone who has been living with MS for a while? And what are some of the things you wish you had known earlier that have helped you get where you are now? As always, all listeners are encouraged to reach out to submit questions, comments, future podcast topics, or guest ideas to mymsflock at gmail.com. And lastly, remember, as we travel through life with MS, we're certain to hit some turbulence. We'll get through it, especially if we're flying together, supporting one another. Thank you for listening, and until next time, be well.